Here is Pastor Ed Taylor. Peter is telling us, understand today that God has a purpose in the waiting. And God has a purpose in the supposed delays. God has a purpose when we think that God has forgotten us. God has a purpose when we think he's slack. When he's not operating according to how we even understand the Bible. And you know, hey, I read this and I don't see this because God said this in his word, but he's not operating this way. No, it's not like you think. It's not like you think. He's not slack. He's not lazy. He's not neglectful. His timing is different. Thousand years like a day. He's not slack. He keeps his promises. And we are living on the promises of God, not information. We live by faith. And really now more than ever, we stand on the promises of God. This is amazing grace. There is great instability in the world as we know it, but there's something that can keep you stable. It's an anchor for our souls, and we'll hear all about it on today's Abounding Grace. Thanks for being with us as we return to 2 Peter chapter 3. There's no doubt about it, these are difficult days, and there are some things we must not forget in the midst of them. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to highlight that for us. And so back to 2 Peter, although God promised not to destroy the earth again by a flood, the earth as we know it will not last into eternity. We'll see that in the coming verses. What we see today, what we are experiencing on earth, it's so hard and so difficult and so unfair. It's not going to last. God is going to do a new thing and restore and renew this earth. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 15, it says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with the flames of fire. So notice now, verse 8, he says, But beloved, this is back to 2 Peter 3, verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Okay, Peter, what do you want us not to forget? That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years... And a thousand years as one day. Well, what else do you want us not to forget? Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. But notice that all should come to repentance. A thousand years. A lot of debate. A lot of scholars like to argue about this. But let's look first at, beloved, don't you forget. Tie that together. You've got a group that's willfully forgetting. And then he says, you, beloved, don't you forget. As you know as well as I do, it bears repeating. Trials and difficulties make us forget the faithfulness of God. Bad decisions, difficulties make us forget the... And then, you know, once you forget, then you just stay in that, that perpetual place of forgetfulness. So you've got a group of people, mockers, scoffers, undermining the scriptures, not allowing it to guide, not building their life upon the rock. They got that group. But then he turns back and he says, but you guys, don't you forget this one thing. Don't forget this. 
Don't, don't be like the unbelievers. Don't be like the critics. I mean, I would just say today, if you have a critical spirit, pray for yourself. It's not helping you progress the gospel, and it's not encouraging to you either. A critical spirit, where you just happen to find everything wrong with everything and everyone. I think the Lord wants to deliver you from that. He wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to enjoy others, even the weaknesses and the difficulties that all make us who we are of God building us up. If you're a mocker today, pray for yourself. I mean, if you're an unbeliever, pray for yourself by repenting of your sins and asking God to forgive you. I mean, your life can change on a dime today. If you're a believer that's been running away from God, today is the day he receives you home. Come home. Receive the Lord afresh and anew. Repent. Nothing happens without repentance, you know. Repentance is so needed. It's a scary word. You know, it's a heavy word, but it's not. We repent all the time in different ways. We make decisions that change the course of our life all the time. We find out we're going in the wrong direction. We turn around and go in the right direction. We make a wrong turn. We turn around and make sure we get back. We're repenting all the time. It simply means to turn around, to go in the opposite direction. And the direction that you've been going, it's time to return. And not only that, I want you to see, what does he want us to forget? not forget? He says that God has a different measurement of time than we do. Now, again, the debate is, is it a literal thousand years? I don't see this being a literal statement of, well, for us, every year is a thousand years, or every day is a thousand years. I think that what's being said here by Peter is, I know this ongoing trial in your life. You're on the run. It seems like forever, but God measures time differently. He looks at time differently than the way we do. Because God operates outside of time. He, he is over and above time. And he intervenes in our time dominion. We look at time linearly, linearly. But God has an ability to see it all at once. When we look at a situation, we look at it within time. You know, it's like you look at your life and go, this has been so hard for X amount of years. It's been so hard for X amount of hours. It's been so, we're in that, but God has a bigger picture of your life. And what a day is in your life spans a thousand years. In Psalm 90 verse 4, I think this is where Peter picks us up. In Psalm 90 verse 4, it says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, like a watch in the night. And so the mockers don't understand God's higher and above. Again, let me show you this. Turn over to Isaiah. One of those familiar passages we quote all the time, but you need to see it. You might even want to mark it. In Isaiah 55, verse 8. Isaiah 55, verse 8. Because it does help for us, not only in looking at time, a day in a thousand years. I mean, let's just say it is a thousand years. Let's just say a day represents a thousand years of God living in eternity. You know, when the mockers say, oh, you know, you've been waiting for Jesus for 2,000 years and he hasn't come yet, you can just answer them. Yeah, it's been two whole days that we've been waiting, measuring from the, the life of times of Jesus because his times are different. His measurement's different. Notice, he says in verse 6 of Isaiah 55, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him. That's so good. God is so merciful. He'll have mercy on him. And to our God, he'll abundantly pardon. 
And then listen to what he says through Isaiah, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways, nor your way, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then what does he speak about next? So we've learned from Peter, time, God's timing is not your timing. He doesn't measure time, doesn't look at time like you do or live in that scope. And then here he can be sought while he can be, you can seek him while he can be found. And as you seek him, you know what he'll be met with? He'll be met, you'll be met with mercy and pardon. You know what is mercy? Remember what mercy is? There's three words that always go together that you want to remember. Grace, mercy, and judgment. Let's go backwards. If you were to meet God and judgment, what would you receive? Exactly what you deserve. That's judgment. Judgment is receiving exactly what you deserve. When you meet God and you come to him and you receive his grace, well, his grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Isn't that awesome? Receiving what you don't deserve. You don't come and plead God, give me what I deserve, give me what I deserve. No, he gives you over and above what you don't deserve. And then mercy, when you think of mercy, that, that's where God withholds from you what you deserve. You get what you don't deserve, grace. Judgment, you get what you deserve. But mercy, you know, one of the ways to remember mercy is what? Maybe you were fighting with your sibling, uh, battling someone, and they got you pinned down, and they're ready to punch you in the face. And what do you cry out for? Mercy, mercy. And what are you saying? Don't. You win. You win. You don't need to punch me. You win. Don't give me what I, I know I lost. And if I was on top, I'd probably punch you. But I'm asking for mercy. And there you are before the judge. And you have committed a crime, been arrested, been adjudicated, and now it's sentencing. And you're standing there before the judge. And what do you ask for? You definitely don't ask for judgment. Give it to me, judge. Give it all to me. And you probably wouldn't ask for grace, where grace is very rarely meted out after you're convicted of a crime. What do you ask for? Mercy. Since I know what I deserve, I'm guilty. But what I'm asking for is mercy. Mercy. And then notice in verse 10, how does he connect all this together? With his faithfulness. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, this is still Isaiah, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And then what happens? For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Isn't that a beautiful picture? To think of coming up from the top of Hampton here, and you can see the whole panorama over on Arapahoe. Coming in, you see the whole panorama of the Rocky Mountains. And can you just see one day they just have eyes and a mouth and just start singing to you as you're driving west, praising the God that created them. Such a beautiful picture. Not only that, as we wind down here, not only that, verse 9, come back to Peter. This is so beautiful. If God doesn't measure time like we do, then the time frame that we've been waiting for something isn't seen the way God sees it. He's not slack. And again, for the sake of 
using slang among us, God is not a slacker. He's not slack the way you think he is. He's not compared to any other one, any, anyone else that's slack. He's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But what you see as slackness, God says, is long-suffering. Is his patience toward us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm so thankful for the long-suffering of God, aren't you? Are you praying for anyone today to receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Then this verse is for you. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He's been patiently waiting for you. I think of my own life. Jesus did Christ as much as I desire, and I'm sure the church desired for Jesus to come back in the rapture in 1990. He didn't return in 1990. You know what happened in 91? I got saved. He didn't come back in 2020. He didn't, as I know the church, oh, come back, Lord, come back. Deliver us. We are ready. Take us up. We're looking up. We're looking up. We're looking up. No, he didn't come back in 2020. And many people are saved in 2021. Why? Because even today, some will be saved. Even those, some hearing my voice today will be pricked and convicted by the Holy Spirit and respond. How God uses the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the response of a human remains a mystery to me to this day. I know this though, no one is saved against their will. No one is just miraculously, oh, I didn't know I was saved. There is a cooperation that takes place between the human being in response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is not God's heart. It is not his loving nature that any should perish. God sent his only begotten son into this sin-filled world for every sinner. Not just a few, not just the elect. Jesus even died for the ones that will willingly deny him. We learned back in chapter 2, remember? In chapter 2, if you can just turn there, you're already there. In 2 Peter, there were false prophets among the people, even as there'll be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They denied, what does your Bible say? Even denying the Lord who bought them. Who did the Lord buy? The unbelieving liars that are trying to destroy the church. How did he buy them? The blood that he shed on Calvary. There's no one outside the reach of Jesus. He's come to save all who will receive him by faith. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. It says, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Don't think he's slack. It's not that. He's long-suffering. Well, what's the long-suffering of our Lord? It is salvation. He's not willing that any should perish. All should come to repentance. Peter is telling us, understand today that God has a purpose in the waiting. And God has a purpose in the supposed delays. God has a purpose when we think that God has forgotten us. God has a purpose when we think he's slack. When he's not operating according to how we even understand the Bible. And you know, hey, I read this and I don't see this because God said this in his word. But he's not operating this way. No, it's not like you think. It's not like you think. He's not slack. He's not lazy. He's not neglectful. His timing is different. Thousand years like a day. He's not slack. He keeps his promises. And we are living on the promises of God, not information. We live by faith. And really now more than ever, we stand on the promises of God. And not on information or data or opinions. 
I want to end with this. This blessed my heart, and I put this together, and I was reviewing it right before coming out today. Would you turn over to Hebrews chapter 6? Especially you guys on the radio. I think the Lord, I know you probably can't turn your Bible right now, but the Lord really has a word for you. He really wants you to be reminded of this. Really wants to build your faith tonight. Wants to have that. As you were praying for your neighbor, he wants you to believe your prayers and believe the God who hears them. Notice in in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, we studied so many, many months ago as a church family. He says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And wouldn't this be one of the most precious, sweet promises right up against that whole thing about Melchizedek and what do people, when they do, when they start thinking about Melchizedek, who is that, what happened with him? And they get all caught up in Melchizedek when the focus of the Bible is not Melchizedek, it's Jesus And Jesus gives us hope that's like an anchor of our soul that gives us a surety and a steadfastness. Why? Because he went in first, the forerunner. Throughout Christian history, the anchor was a reliable symbol, a consistent reminder of the strength that we have in Christ. Even in the catacombs of Rome, where Christians hid in times of persecution, the anchor is one of the most common etchings found in the catacombs. Anchored. We have the idea of safely strong in the midst of great adversity. So that no matter what storms come our way, we're anchored in the word of God. We're anchored in the promises that he has made. We're anchored in him. We have a sure and steadfast hope that he will do what he says. So we refuse to go backward. We refuse to run away. We refuse to return to religion. We refuse to quit. And that's the encouragement to the Hebrews, to those listening to Peter, and to us. Which what? Leaves us with the question, are you anchored? Or how about asking it a different way? You are anchored, but where? Such disaster anchors can cause when they're not used the right way in the right place. Our hope in God is an anchor for our soul. That this is the word in the Greek that's used to describe the anchoring of a ship in a place designed to hold the ship steady, to keep it from floating aimlessly about, being damaged or sunk by floating upon the rocks and, and floating away. God's promise of an eternal land, God's promise of his long suffering. God's promises of his word, what he's done in the past, his faithfulness in the past assures his faithfulness today. Sure and steadfast, entering behind the veil. And so don't give up on that husband tonight, wife. Wife, don't give up on your husband. Keep praying and don't give up on your neighbor or your mom or your dad. Parents, don't give up on your son or your daughter, your grandkids. Don't give up praying for your enemies, church. Don't give up on your sister. Don't give up on the man or the woman that failed, disappointed you. 
Don't give up on your church. Don't give up on the message of the gospel. Don't turn away because it's so hard right now and so difficult. Don't run away. Stay steadfast and sure. Why? Because Jesus is an anchor. He'll get you through. Yeah, mockers will come, Peter said. They'll even come in your worst time. Scoffers. But believers, as the mockers willfully forget, believers will willfully remember and call to our remembrance. And even where Jesus thought this was so important, he thought this was so important that what did he do? When he left, he sent us his Holy Spirit. Why? To bring to remembrance. So that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Even if we do forget, he'll bring to our remembrance all the things that he taught us. Isn't God so good? You just stay put in him. Stay anchored in him. He's got it covered front and back, left and right, top and bottom. He's faithful. And when we remember that and hold fast to that, God will get you through anything. Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. He's been in 2 Peter chapter 3 today in a message titled, God's Promises Keep Us Stable. And Pastor Ed, a common question floating around right now is, why hasn't Jesus returned? We get a clue in this passage from 2 Peter. God's not willing that any should perish. Would you touch on that as we close? You know, Larry, we often forget when we're studying through the Bible, going through Bible studies, you know, attending church, just living life, we forget, and it's easy to, I get it, but we forget the character and the nature of God. And it's important to know that a couple of things when it comes to the return of the Lord, I mean, his return could happen at any moment. It's super clear that things are arranging in the world today that are bringing everything down to this narrow season that God reveals to us in Daniel, Revelation, all throughout prophecy. So we know he's going to come soon. We expect him. We live for that blessed hope. However, while we wait, you know, as an old saying used to say, while the Lord tarries, I mean, really, he doesn't tarry because he's going to come exactly as predicted in the heart of God. God knows when Jesus is going to return. So as in the in-between time, while we're alive and living, the reality is, is that God's heart is for the lost. And every moment of every day that the return of the Lord hasn't happened. It's God's desire to see your family saved, to see your friends saved, to see perhaps even you come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. The heart, the character, the nature of our Father is that He's not willing that any should perish. His desire is for you. His long-suffering is salvation. It, it is the opportunity. It is available to you and today, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And what a blessing and honor it is uh, to follow Jesus Christ and live our lives for him. Such a great question. Thank you so much. Thanks for those words of encouragement. Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. Over the past couple of years, discouragement and depression have been on the rise. And maybe that would describe where you're at today. 
We have a book we'd like to recommend to you that can help. It's Struggling Under the Broom Tree by Bill Gem. Pastor Bill recalls the life of Elijah, someone who battled with discouragement and depression too. But God, in his faithfulness, brought him out from under the broom tree of despair. If God did this for Elijah, you can be sure he can do it for you too. Read all about God's rescue plan for discouragement in Struggling Under the Broom Tree. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is listener-supported, and each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's work and responsibly used. You'll be helping people across the nation grow in their relationship with the Lord and, in some cases, come to faith in Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We're talking about the day of the Lord on the next edition of Abounding Grace. Don't miss our next study in 2 Peter with Pastor Ed Taylor right here. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.